Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm Pete Bigelow, reporter at the Automotive News and your host. Hey, everybody. This is Leslie Allen, editor of Shift Magazine. And Alexa St. John, covering tech and suppliers. Joining us on the podcast today is Cheung-Sheng Sao, the CEO and founder of AutoX, uh, one of the key Chinese automated vehicle technology companies. Uh, he'll be joining us shortly, but first, Alexa, I wanted to ask you about some of the news in the broader mobility industry this week. Uh, Uber, which had been spurned by Grubhub, is now uh, marrying Postmates. What do you make of that acquisition? Well, just uh, coming off the long weekend, uh, at least here in the U.S. anyway, um, Uber has agreed to buy Postmates. Uh, and and you're right, this is just a couple of weeks after um, Uber's proposed acquisition of Grubhub uh, fell through. Um, we I think we talked about it uh, in another episode of the podcast, but uh, JustEatTakeaway.com, a European company, uh, ended up buying uh, Grubhub uh, last month, just a few weeks ago. Um, and so it sounds like Uber has been uh, very much so aggressive in seeking out another uh, partner for meal delivery. Um, obviously, Postmates has been uh, somewhat of an early pioneer in, in delivery as a service. Um, and so Uber has, has said that uh, Postmates will, will complement uh, its own uh, delivery uh, aspirations here. So uh, interesting news. I believe that came out uh, late uh, last Monday. And and so we'll see what else is, is to come in terms of uh, ride hailing, ride sharing, and, and uh, these delivery services, uh, particularly food delivery uh, in the future. I mean, I'm curious if uh, Lyft decides to uh, look into any similar deal. Um, but uh, obviously, we've heard that Uber has has been struggling, especially uh, throughout this crisis, uh, looking at different avenues uh, to pursue to maintain revenue. But uh, it'll, I'll be very curious to see how this in particular turns out. Yeah, these services have really had a crazy year. I mean, with uh, with COVID and having to pivot, just, you know, make all these um, sudden changes. Of course, we don't know how sudden. I mean, this is these are changes that maybe they had on their... Um, agenda already, but just seeing how quickly they're trying to reinvent themselves is is pretty interesting. I know in the case of Uber, they've had to lay off a bunch of people. I mean, I saw one report this week that Uber laid off 6,700 people between May 6th and May 18th. I mean, that is crazy. It was like within one month, they lost 6,700 workers and this was part of a larger report that came out of the UK that said that tech startups laid off 69,000 people amid the COVID-19 outbreak. And that really tells you kind of, you know, shows you how bad the situation has been. And of course, we're seeing a surge in cases. So uh, time will tell, you know, whether or not these layoffs are going to continue. I'm also wondering and we can maybe look into this later, what's going on with some of these sort of side projects that these companies have had. I know Uber, of course, is uh, have been working in AVs. And but uh, one place, as I understand it, Pete, that um, we haven't seen too much of a drop-off in AV activity is in China. So uh, what's going on there? You know, that, uh, that's a good segue, Leslie. I think uh, as we've seen cutbacks at places uh, that are where where AV programs are kind of a bolt-on to a, a more core business. Uh, elsewhere, such as in China, there has been no slowdown whatsoever. In fact, it, during the COVID crisis and coming out of it, some of the Chinese AV companies like AutoX, uh, like Baidu, WeRide, Pony, Didi, they're all more aggressive than ever. They've launched uh, a ton of pilot projects collectively uh, in the last three or four months. And I think you could say that the Chinese AV industry is is maturing and probably in some respects catching up. Uh, I won't say on par with yet, but, but catching up with some of the uh, American companies like Cruise, like Waymo. Uh, and we're going to talk to Professor X about some of those changes uh, in the industry broadly and 
some of the uh, you know most recent news from AutoX in particular here. So uh, maybe why don't we, without further ado, go to our conversation with Professor X from AutoX. Chen Chun, welcome to the podcast. It's great to uh, great to have you today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, let our listeners know where where are you this well, I guess morning for us, evening for you. Uh, where are you today? Yeah, I'm in our Shenzhen headquarters now. Uh, uh, AutoX have several offices. Uh, right now I'm in Shenzhen. Shenzhen is a city on, on the south side of China. It's actually the most high-tech city. It's considered to be the Silicon Valley of China. You just mentioned you do have offices around the world uh, in Shenzhen, Beijing, Shanghai, research centers in the United States. Uh, give us a little idea of the scope of your global operations and, and what you're trying to do in each city. Certainly. Um, we, uh, we are actually a very global company. Uh, in, in the U- U.S., we have uh, two R&D centers in California, one in Silicon Valley, one in San Diego. And in China, uh, we have a ma- major R&D center in uh, Shenzhen, in the city of Shenzhen, also Another major R&D center in Beijing, uh, right outside Tsinghua University. Um, in Shanghai, we have a big data operation center. Um, in uh, Changzhou, is a city next to Shanghai. Uh, we have a, 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 a facility for manufacturing, for assembling the self-driving vehicles. Uh, this is Leslie. I have a question for you. So you are focused on deployment in China. So how many cars do you have on the road right now? And another question for you about Shanghai. Uh, uh, this is your primary test market, I believe. And so why did you choose Shanghai for the primary market? Yeah, certainly. Uh, right now we have uh, over 100 vehicles driving uh, globally. But the majority, uh, 90%, over 90% of them, are in China because we see the China market as uh, one of the most promising and um, the biggest self-driving car market. Um, in, in, therefore, in China, we also see that, uh, let's say that in, for the China market, which city would be the best city for self-driving car? We expect it's going to be the, uh, the major ones. Uh, it will start with the, the most major one. That, that's why we have uh, self-driving free both running in the city of Shenzhen and Shanghai. Because not only this is the two uh, richest city, but at the same time, they are also uh, the most high-tech uh, city uh, in China. People are the most open-minded. They welcome technology. They are very tech-friendly. And they also have enough demand because those are like mega city with, uh, for example, Shanghai is the largest city in, in China. Shenzhen is the city with the highest population density in China. Therefore, there's a lot of huge demand for for example, ride hailing as well as for like logistic operations. How important is that density to, to choosing markets where you'll operate uh, as opposed to, you know, geographic reach? Uh, you know, is, is that density a figure that you look at when you're trying to decide where you want to uh, set up operations both now and in the future? Yeah, certainly. Uh, one thing is that if the uh, population density is higher, that's made the self-driving car uh, unit economic actually better because uh, that means you can drive on the same road uh, if, you can, if you can have the self-driving car able to handle the same uh, a small area. But at the same time, that, there are a lot of demand. That means we just need to finish the technology for this particular area and there's this huge uh, uh, return for the investment in terms of the technology. Uh, because the technology depends on, uh, for example, high-definition HD maps, depends on a lot of uh, road test data to make sure it's safe. If we can finish the same area, assuming the same size of the area, and if the population density higher, then the demand is higher, then we actually get more return. Uh, you've mentioned the data center twice now, and I know that uh, that's a, a recent big announcement from AutoX is that you have... Uh, a fairly large, uh, if not huge, uh, data center that you have uh, set up operations in. Can you can you describe what what's going on there? Yes, uh, we actually have two data centers. Uh, one in the headquarters in the in Shenzhen, another one in Shanghai. Um, 
the 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 way to get self-driving car work is is really an AI, and this AI is not just you write a lot of uh computer program codes, but also we need to feed tons of data to the AI so that the AI can quickly learn uh from the data and become smarter and smarter, so that the AI can drive the car safer and safer. So in order to power the learning, the machine learning of this uh AI system, we need tons of data. Uh, therefore, that's why we have over 100 vehicles driving globally to collect the data. Most of them, of, of course, in China because we're focused on the China market and there's China-specific road condition uh, make it uh, more, more challenging at the same time, more interesting. But that's why we get more data as well. Um, for example, each self-driving car, as we know, is equipped with uh, many sensors, right? Equipped with camera, LiDAR, radar. IMU GPS with different kinds of sensors. It actually generates tons of data. Each car, each hour, uh, on average, will get around one terabyte of data. That, that's like a typical hard drive size of data. And then we get such amount of data, we, we need to transfer it back to our cloud system. We build a very, great, uh, very good cloud platform to be able to take those data, aggregate those data, and then make good use of it for the AI to do uh, machine learning, uh, such as deep learning, as well as even uh, to do validation and testing. Uh, for example, we build a very large-scale simulation system running in the cloud. And the simulation is not just running virtual simulation, like, like create a computer games to let the car to drive, but also it's trying to make good use of the uh, on-road real data and use those real test real data uh, to uh, exemplify and then use it as a simulation platform, uh, to use it as a simulation scenario. Uh, therefore, feeding tons of data to the cloud is a crucial step. And to be able to operate those data, to be able to harvest those data, process the data, that's why we need those data center. Uh, and we actually have, uh, like I mentioned right now, we have built two major data center, and we're planning to, in the future, planning to build more as we, uh, uh, roll out to more cities and uh, bigger areas. I want to ask you about your operations a little bit. I know, if I'm correct, your uh, AutoX is the first service in China that that is allowed to drive its autonomous vehicles up to 50 miles per hour, uh, and you are the the first in China that's allowed to pick up and drop off passengers anywhere in the geofenced areas you service, rather than at specific stops or stations. Uh, so it it sounds like you are running a fairly sophisticated operation. How have you been able to, to kind of get that far ahead, uh, uh, as far as speed and variety of pickup and and drop-offs that you're doing? Yeah, uh, the major thing is really about our technology. We, we are founded by a great team of, uh, computer scientists and, and computer vision experts as well as AI expert in this area. So over the past uh, almost four years, we have been working very hard to build all the technology. And go a little bit deeper about the technology is that one thing is we need to have very, very smart AI. We need to make sure uh, the AI algorithm is very smart. For example, like you mentioned, uh, any point to any point driving is actually quite challenging because the AI need to be able to generalize. If it's a station-based, uh, a stop-based, just like a bus, you just stop at the bus station and you cannot stop anywhere. It's easier because it's very mechanical, right? It's like every time the car drives to the bus station, it, you can just form, form exactly the same path to get to the destination. Um, but if we're talking about the car need to pull over to any places, that means our AI need to be smarter to be able to generalize to different kinds of uh, curve to different kind of road scenario to, to tell which part we can park, uh, which area we cannot park. Uh, all this is building our AI system. Um, that's, that's why we, we say that when we start the company, we're trying to deliver the true robot taxi experience. It's, a taxi means the car can't find you, can't pick you up. It's, a bus means you go to the find the bus. <laughs> that's actually, uh, there's an implication by bus versus taxi. For us, we're not building the robot bus. We're building a robot taxi. That means the car should be able to pick you up in uh, wherever you are. That's why we have been working on this kind of technology. We have this pat- pattern pending technology. Uh, 
we we already find a pattern uh, about how we can get pull over and pull out at any occasion. But this actually demonstrates the generability of AI. Uh, if for for the audience that are uh, working in AI, we all know that AI is difficult uh, for generability. Computer is very very good at memory and uh, memorizing the facts, and then every time it will need that, they just pull out the data and can just do exactly what they did before. But computer uh, is very uh, not very smart, not very good at generability. That's why the uh, the recent years of advances in artificial intelligence have been trying very hard to make the computer smarter to be able to generalize to other scenario, and that's that's why we have been working on this as well. Uh, uh, that, that's one thing is about the algorithm, the AI algorithm needs to be smarter. But at the same time, we also need to have very good uh, hardware and software integrated approach. A lot of people, when they think about AI, they think about, oh, this is a software problem. If you have smart software, you can do everything. And that's only partially true. A good software requires the support from a great hardware. For example, for example, we have many different kinds of sensors this sensor streaming tons of data, huge amount of data in real time uh, to the main computer in the vehicle. And when our computer need to be able to process it, and also not only just run the smart algorithm, but also need to run it very uh, reliably. You, you don't want to, like, people know that our smartphone crash, our desktop crash, our laptop crash, but you certainly don't want a self-driving car crash. The computer of self-driving car crash because that means who is controlling the car. If the computer is gone, then nobody is controlling the self-driving car. Uh, therefore, the reliability is very crucial. We're talking about uh, a vehicle, right? So this is related to the automotive electronic, automotive grade electronic. We need to be able to tolerate very, very high temperature, vibration, and also need to have uh, safety uh, redundancy if something crash. Is there something else? Is that a backup system can actually take over to make sure it's just like designing an airplane. If you have one engine fail, there's, there's still a few more engines that can take over. That's very crucial. That's why we have been, uh, AutoX, we're very proud to be uh, the only company uh, in China or even Asia that we are not just a software AI company for self-driving car. We're actually, a, I, will, I will call it a product company that build a hardware. For example, we build a computer together with the software, integrated together, optimize it to up to the, 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 the finest level in order to provide an extremely smart, but at the same time, extremely reliable system to, to do self-driving car, uh, to, to provide the self-driving capability to different kinds of vehicles. So I, I would say that one of the key secrets is really on this hardware and software integrated approach. We're not just a software company, we're not just a hardware company, but we actually bridge this together in order to design a very reliable product. It's a little bit like designing iPhone, right? iPhone is not just a piece of software. iPhone is not just the hardware either. It's really Apple designed the hardware and software integrated together so elegantly so that we can have a beautiful iPhone. Similar here, we integrate together so that we, are, we get one step further uh, compared to just pure software solution or at pure hardware manufacturer in this aspect to get a reliable system. Can you tell us about the uh, traffic situations that your vehicles are facing? Are there particular traffic scenarios that are more difficult for the robotaxis to navigate? Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, uh, five minutes ago, I just get off <laughs> our self-driving car in Shenzhen. <laughs> I was going out to, for dinner and then coming back to the office. Yeah, the traffic... Uh, we are dealing with, uh, in particular in China, we are talking about China has a great market. That's cool, right? That's the good side. But the bad side, or maybe the, the challenging side is that the traffic in China is crazy. Then the, when the population density is higher, the traffic uh, also denser. At the same time, uh, people may not perfectly follow traffic rules right? during rush hour, during dinner time. Everyone wants to go home eagerly. They, some, some of them, they just cut corners <laughs> and they do not drive badly, uh, badly uh, follow all the rules. Let's put it this way. So that's what actually creates us a lot of challenge for self-driving car. That's why that's in, the, in the industry, there's a common understanding that self-driving car, for example, in the suburban area of, uh, in, in, in the U.S., is much easier than driving in the urban scenario, like in particular like in city of Shenzhen and and Shanghai, those very crowded city. And that's also why we, uh, we have, 
I, I mentioned briefly before, we capture tons of data in order to let our AI to be able to adapt to the crazy chi Chinese way of driving. <laughs> uh, we have to capture a lot of data. We have to, because the self-driving car need to learn to the behavior or the potential agents on the road. For example, there are different, uh, there are many people biking on the road, many people walking, many people driving, and, and we need to learn and predict what they are going to do. In, in the self-driving system, we have a module called prediction. For each single object, either it's a person, a car, a bike, or whatever, we need to not only recognize that's where it is now, uh, but we also need to predict what is, where it's going to be in the following 10 seconds. Okay, in the following one second, two seconds, up to 10 seconds, what is the trajectory? What is the likelihood? What is the probability is going to do this action versus the other action? We need to predict that. That's why we catch tons of data to observe, uh, to observe the, the, the traffic scenario in China. And then they learn how they actually drive, how they actually walk, how they actually bike. Um, and then use this in order for us to drive uh, very smartly. I was actually on the way back on our self-driving car. Uh, there was actually a traffic accident in front of us that blocking the whole road. Uh, and then people actually getting off to check their, old car, uh, check, check their cars, each other. And our self-driving car can smartly switch then uh, to bypass that area instead of just get stuck there forever. Like this kind of situation, like when, when in big city, when the traffic is crazy, uh, it's very actually easy to enter different kinds of situations. Like there are another situation I encountered just now. Is really, uh, there's a construction going on uh, because it is like the urban city, even this dinner town, people are still working very hard trying to build the, build the road, uh, fix the road. Uh, so this kind of scenario we have to deal with every day. It's, it's extremely challenging, but at the same time, we also see this opportunity because if we do the road test in those suburban scenarios, like for example, in I would say 95% of the, 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 uh, of the area in the U.S., you can, you can drive the car without too much change. But the problem is that you don't learn a lot. AI needs to be changed and collect those changing data in order for the AI to become smarter. So because we are driving in Shenzhen and in Shanghai and also several other cities in China, uh, the road situation here are much more complicated. Actually, it speed up the, uh, the learning rate for AI. The learning rate for AI because it encounters so many uh, very interesting, very challenging scenario um, at, at a faster speed, much faster speed, probably tens of, tens, tens of times faster. Therefore, for us, we collect even the same amount of data we're talking about, uh, the quality of the data, how, how dense, uh, which part of the data is actually meaningful. Um, in, in the China driving scenario, because everything is very challenging, so the, the the portion that is useful for AI is actually much, much larger than if we're driving in suburban in, 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 in the US. Uh, I think this is impose a challenge, but at the same time, provide us a lot of benefit. That also enable us to don't need to have that many cars. We don't need to have tens of thousands of cars to collect data because even with the, uh, slightly over 100 cars, we still get enough data uh, to feed to our AI. That's also a cost-saving factor in there. Well, when you talk about challenging scenarios, at least in the U.S., California is definitely, it ranks up there. So how does your research and development in California help you to get ready for the streets of Shanghai? I'm just curious about that. And because uh, I envision these um, operating areas are quite different. So um, how does everything you learn here in the U.S. translate to what's happening in China? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I would say that at the beginning, uh, uh, right now, uh, our company is almost four years old. Uh, but the, in the first two years, I would say it's, it's indeed more useful because at the beginning, uh, we, we, we start from scratch. We have nothing. <laughs> and so the car cannot handle even simple scenarios, right? So uh, that, that's actually good for doing, uh, doing a lot of testing in California because the roads are not as complicated. And, but at that time, our AI is not as capable to deal with the complicated scenario. So, so at that time, we can learn the basic driving scenario. And that's good for us because we, our system, our AI is also not as mature. But as the time goes by, as our AI becomes more and more mature, you actually need to find a much more challenging scenario. So I would say that uh, nowadays, uh, testing in California actually does not provide too much value 
anymore. Uh, because the role situation is simply easier than the AI capability that it can handle. So that's why driving at this moment, I would say in this point in time, testing in Shenzhen and in Shanghai and those other cities is probably more useful than testing in, in California uh, in general. But I would say that our California R&B uh, team is very, basically laid the foundation. A lot of basic idea is still there. Like for example, you know, you, you, you shouldn't speed up, you should follow the rain, you should, you should stop at red light. Uh, those uh, easier scenarios still universally applicable. But, uh, but those universally applicable scenario and portion of the system, uh, at the beginning to lay the foundation of the technology, we do need to do that. But after a certain time, like probably after two years, when the company get founded in around 2018, we kind of finished most of that part. Uh, so, so now we're actually finding the bigger chance to change our system in order for our system to continue to improve. Chen Chen, that's, a, uh, that's an interesting comparison and contrast between you know, the U.S. operating and, and operating on Chinese roads. I'm curious about other kind of more bigger picture differences uh, in terms of the business model. Like what, what percentage of the population in China owns their own vehicle? Uh, so are they looking for a robo-taxi service to be their, you know, their primary means of transportation or, or more complementary uh, and, you know, how far is the average commute and, uh, you know, what are some of those other kind of bigger picture variables uh, that, that might be different from one country to the other? Yeah, certainly. That's, that's a great question. Uh, it's actually a huge difference between, uh, between China and U.S. Um, in terms of the ownership of vehicle. Uh, not only, uh, uh, for, for example, not only is really the number huge, but I would say the culture is also a huge difference uh, because in U.S., uh, almost every household, at least most of my friends I know, uh, actually, uh, uh, actually have a, a car or at least they have a driver license. Even if they don't own a car, they may have a zip car or over weekend they can go out as well. But, but in China, the car ownership, uh, first of all, is very, very low. Uh, most, of the v- most of the people here, uh, they don't own a car. And it was even worse is that I would say most of the people here, they don't even have a driver license. They don't, and, and they are not intended to have a driver license. Not only uh, because it's very troublesome to own a vehicle, because those cities are in China is very crowded. There are so many cities, but almost every city is very crowded. It's very difficult to find a parking space. And the parking space is that uh, costs a lot of money to for example, in the city of Shanghai or Shenzhen, these kind of top cities is extremely is, is, is like, like buy, buying a parking space in Shenzhen is almost like buying a house in California. <laughs> it's really very expensive. So nobody can afford that. Uh, that's why very few people have that. On the other hand, it's also uh, the Chinese culture like, uh, in the US, having a driver license, having a car means you have freedom, right? you, you can go anywhere. So this kind of cultural concept is, has been built in for many generations uh, in the U.S. culture. But in Chinese culture, nobody had any cars like four decades ago. The whole country had almost no car for four decades, for, for, like, for back to four decades ago. So there's no building culture that feels that people feel that they need a older car. And, and because of this, uh, 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 most people in, many people in the city of China, and most cities actually have subway, they have public transportation, and because the traffic are not very good, so a lot of people, uh, in, uh, uh, I would say the majority of people, in particular at Shenzhen city, uh, city of Shenzhen or Shanghai, they actually take the subway as the main transport, uh, tra- transportation, uh, the main way of transportation. And, but of course, there's this COVID-19 situation that actually caused a little bit problem <laughs> because like, if you are sitting in a subway, uh, a train, and then there are hundreds of people sitting with you, that you sometimes, even if it, in China, the COVID-19 is not that bad, but it's still you, you, you are still worried about if one of the person have some problem, then everyone have problem. So that's why uh, in, in the, actually due to the COVID-19, uh, a lot more people actually prefer ride-sharing because at least in the ride-hailing system, uh, if you use ride-hailing, you just 
seeing a private vehicle, right? Right now, uh, for, for most ride hailing, they are they are not self-driving car, so they are they have a human driver sitting there. So they, it still creates certain uh, potential for infection. Uh, but still, it's much better than you sitting together in the same cabin with hundreds of people. Uh, that's that's why uh, a lot of people see that uh, due to COVID nineteen, uh, the people actually uh, like to ride hailing uh, much more in China uh, than before. But it's actually the quite the opposite. What happened in the U.S. in the U.S. a lot of people in the old days uh, they drive their old car, and then later we have Uber, we have Lyft, we have great ride hailing platform. People are using that. That that's that's great. But uh, then COVID nineteen happened. Now everyone is very worried about, it. and the ride hailing business uh, dropped significantly. Uh, and this uh, because of the COVID nineteen impact. Not only is like uh, the actual impact, but also it create make people to be more aware of this potential infection for not just COVID-19, but also other kinds of disease. Um, so I would say that in, in, in US, a lot of the whole industry actually agree that the right-hailing business is probably going down significantly. Uh, not only is whether it's robot taxi or not, uh, but all the right-hailing, right-shedding business significantly go down already, and it's going to be very difficult to recover because this this like social impression on people's mind are going to last for many years. But, but in China, it's actually the opposite. Like people move, uh, 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 even a small portion of people move from the subway to right heading that actually create a huge uh, increased market on, on the right heading platform, which is very, very interesting. And, and in, in China, uh, not, uh, I would say it's not just China, I say, is really in Asia, in the, for example, even Southeast Asia, like city like Singapore, or like many cities in Southeast Asia actually have similar situation, or even like in Japan, in Korea, or they are all similar situation that because the, uh, the car ownership culture is not strong, uh, because the population density is too high to afford that people to have cars, uh, so most people are taking public transportation anyway. Uh, and with this, uh, uh, with, with this car ownership uh, 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 culture being very weak and also with this uh, COVID-19 impact, uh, I would say more and more people actually in, prefer to have right hailing instead. They probably don't want to have right sharing, probably not sharing the right with people, other strangers, but right hailing is actually uh, is, uh, is, is becoming um, much more popular recently. So we, we see that... It, uh, this is directly impacting the uh, robot taxi. Right? For example, robot taxi business uh, would be even better, one step further better, right? Because one thing, if, if it's robot taxi, you can remove the driver. If you, if the car is completely private now. It's the safest you can get. <laughs> and that's even better. Secondly, also, if it's, we can remove the, uh, the driver, we can actually uh, deploy all kinds of technology for disinfection. For, for example, there's this UVC light uh, that you can shine on the shine the light in the car and it can disinfect the whole vehicle uh, in a few minutes. But the problem is that the UVC light is harmful for human skin. It may cause cancer, it may burn the human skin. So if there's any human sitting in the car, including the driver, that means we cannot shine the light. But if it's a robot taxi, that means it's easier. Between the two different lights, when, when the passenger get off, when we close the door, we lock the door, then we can shine the UV light. And then by the time the car arrives to pick up the next passenger, the car is totally clean, uh, totally get disinfected. And this kind of technology is possible now with, uh, with, the, uh, with the robot taxi. So we actually see that it's very exciting opportunity uh, in China in particular. That's why we're so, we care so much about China, but also not just China. We see that the same pattern, the lifestyle and the, the population density, everything is very similar in, in many parts in Asia. And we see that this kind of business model could be directly applicable to other cities as well. That's fascinating to think that that COVID is such an opportunity for you uh, in China, whereas in the U.S. it's, it's clearly uh, hurt ride hailing. I'm curious, is that why... We have seen over the last few months, uh, it's not just AutoX uh, with 100 cars on the road. It's, it's some of your competitors like Baidu and WeRide and DD. It seems like every, every major 
company in China that's working on automated driving technology has has really accelerated their efforts in say the last three months. Uh, you know, I, I'd say coming right out of COVID would be my guess. Is are, are those two things linked uh, because of that opportunity? Uh, yes, certainly. I, I would say that that's one of the main main key thing. The other uh, thing is, of course, uh, is really the development of the technology now. Um, because U.S. has a head start for self-driving car development uh, in the past few decades. But in China, uh, uh, all these companies that you mentioned, either AutoX, Baidu, Didi, uh, we start very recently. We start only uh, about four years ago. Uh, so at the beginning, as, as all, because we're building this technology from nothing, right, from scratch. So at the beginning, the first one year, two years, three years, we spend more time on building the technology, and at the beginning, it's not as mature. Of course, we, we don't want to deploy it on the road when it's not mature. Uh, but as the time goes by, uh, the technology is getting much, much more and more mature to be at, at the point that we can start to provide uh, some public service to the general public. Uh, so this, you can actually see that many of these, uh, including Baidu, and also uh also, also DD uh, as well as AutoX. We not only we test in China, but we also test in California. If you look at today, uh, this year's California DMV public report, you can see that the the miles per intervention rate uh, for this uh, uh, group of uh, company focused on the China market actually raised significantly compared to the previous year. And that's I would say the the maturity of the technology is also one of the reason why uh, there are more and more public grants. In this area, you made a mention of uh, ride hailing. I'm curious. You have partnerships with Alibaba, and a new one with AMAP, um, which is the largest mobility player in China. So, what do these partnerships bring to AutoX? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for AutoX, we our focus is to be a technology company. We are the we our product is the AutoX driver, is to drive a car the AI driver to drive the car from point A to point B very safely. That's our primary focus. So we are really a tech-heavy company where every day we're thinking about how do we make transportation safer? How do we make the car driving safer? Uh, uh, but with this focus, we need somebody else to really uh, get the user, get the rider to hail our cars, right? So who, who can get that? That's a very different kind of business because our business, we're very tech-focused. In some sense, it's a 2 B business. Our customers are those major business. Uh, they are not each individual consumers, not each individual riders. But the rider need an app, need a very uh, popular mobility platform. For example, in the U.S., there's Uber, that live In China, there's, uh, uh, there's DD, there's uh, AMAP. Uh, so we need to have, be, uh, have a way to gather the user into this app so that they, the user can use those apps to call our self-driving car. Uh, um, with the, this partnership with Alibaba AMAP, uh, that enables us to bring in many, many users to use our service. Uh, for example, Alibaba AMAP, they have about 500 million uh, monthly active users using the app to call cars. Uh, and with this, it, it, it actually... Uh, we don't need to worry about how do we get the customer, how do we get people to install our car, uh, how do we do marketing promotion uh, in order to, to get that. We just need to focus on what we are really good at to build the car, build the driver to be safe, and then use that driver. Uh, and then we just need to worry about how we get people from point A to point B to be safety, instead of worry about how we actually get those people to sit in our car. So this is, uh, uh, I would say, it, it actually helps us provide a, a, a piece of the puzzle that help us so that we can focus on our, our main business instead of getting a lot of distraction to some non, non-AI driver related problems. I have a, a quick question back about kind of like the operational aspects. Uh, you know, another difference I think between the two countries is that China uses V to X extensively uh, you know, in its infrastructure, and you're already using that as a, a key center for your autonomous vehicles. Whereas in, in the United States, you know, V to X is, is largely not deployed, and the U.S. autonomous vehicle companies or aut- autonomous technology companies 
are not necessarily incorporating that. Can you can you explain what you're doing with Vita X and how you're kind of using those inputs in your and your uh, decision making? Certainly, that's another interesting difference between the the two countries. Uh, technically, uh, we, there are many ways we can use V2X. The most basic form is that we can get the uh, V2I infrastructure to to the vehicle. For example, if the traffic light is turning green, turning uh, red, um, we don't even need to look at the traffic light. We don't even need to have our sensors to detect the traffic light. The traffic light can just send a signal, say that I'm I'm at the red status now. And at the green status now, I'm about to turn into yellow. Uh, you can tell you even before the car and uh, approaching the intersection. In this way, our car can make use of this kind of information. Not only it makes it safer, otherwise the detection may sometimes could potentially have problem, right? For example, if there's a tree, um, there's a tree grow bigger and bigger right next to the traffic light, it may the tree leaf may actually block the traffic light. And then for us, it's very difficult, even for humans, it's very difficult to tell what, what is the light. Uh, but with this kind of V2X technology, now the traffic light can just communicate with the car. Tell, you don't even need to ask. The traffic light broadcasts the signal to you, and then you actually know that, oh, that, it, well, I'm, I'm, running, uh, I'm getting closer to a red light, I should just slow down now, uh, instead of just slow down at the last minute, <laughs> at the last moment, uh, at, at, the, at the intersection. So that's, I would say that that's the most common V2X infrastructure right now being used in many cities in China, as well as, uh, uh, as, well as uh, many, uh, for example, there are other ways to use it. For example, we can install smart sensors. We can install camera, LiDAR, radar, a lot of sensors on those traffic lights. In this way, it's not only we can know the traffic light, but we actually know that we can recognize the blind spot. If, for example, my car driving at the intersection and I actually there's another huge truck in front of me blocking a lot of uh, uh, visibility. My visibility is not clear because there's a huge truck blocking there. But if we install those uh, uh, infrastructure perception system, we can actually, from a different view angle, to provide the perception result. And then like, like maybe behind the truck, there's a little child playing the playing a soccer, playing soccer, we need to pay attention, but we have no way to tell from our car, right? Because our car was, the visibility is occluded by the truck. But if we install those sensors on the road, we can actually recognize those blind spot area, and then they just real time streaming the data to our vehicle. And we can actually integrate this so that our car can drive smarter than even a human possible, because you are not just Dealing, you're not just dealing with what is visible to you, but you actually can see even those on the other side of the uh, that what is going on there. That's actually a very crucial benefit for V2X as well. And one thing is that a lot of people may wonder why China have V2X? Uh, is it really because the technology is more advanced? I was, my answer is really no. It's not really a technology problem. It's really, I would say, it's really... Uh, the government here, they like V2X. Uh, the government here, they see this as a, not just being safer, but uh, the, the government usually promotes some infrastructure uh, upgrade over the year. In the old days, they upgrade the road to be a faster road, wider road with more ends, uh, uh, better material on the road. Uh, but after a certain point, they realize, okay, there's nothing you can build a better, a bigger road. Uh, and in particular, if the, due to the COVID-19, the global economic is also not performing very well. To make sure the economic does not go down, the government is willing to pay even more money to build the road so that they create more jobs, create more opportunity to boost, boost up the economic. Uh, therefore, uh, this like V2X, it becomes part of the road infrastructure. So that's something that the government is actually very uh, interested in spending the money on in order to create more jobs, uh, in order to create more, uh, also at the same time upgrade the city so that the city uh, is smarter, uh, more digitalized. I would say that's a huge incentive uh, of, of this. So therefore, a lot of companies, they actually get, uh, get, get contract, they get subcontract, <laughs> uh, they build, build, build the road infrastructure that actually enable us as, as a 
beneficial. <laughs> uh, we actually, although uh, we, we don't build traffic light, but the tra those traffic light company, they can send the signal for free to self-driving car. And then we, our self-driving car can make good use of those free signal to, to improve the safety, to make everything better, to make the comfortable better, drive more comfortably instead of just braking at the last minute. Uh, in front of the traffic light, but we can actually know that there's a red light there. We just slowly move that, and we don't need to uh, drive very fast and then stop there at the, at the last, last second. Yeah, uh, that's a very interesting scenario that we also see that this could be a potential opportunity to improve the uh, safety level as well as speed up the adaption rate for self-driving car in China. Yeah, one, one minor thing that, uh, one last thing I want to add is also it's not just V2X, but also 5G. 5G is not exactly V2X, although there's 5G-based V2X technology as well. Um, but 5G is also another in, important factor because self-driving car, as I mentioned, they have so much data captured over time. We need to have the HD map update, and we need to have instant update of the maps. Uh, we need to have instant upload of the data to the cloud so that, that the AI becomes smarter. We also need to help. Uh, the car talk to V2V, that if a car drives to a certain location and there's a lot of construction, there's a lot of traffic, then the car needs to be immediately report the data back to the cloud and the cloud distribute the data to all the other vehicles so that all the other vehicles, the road behind this car will try to avoid this area. And this is only possible with this like, 5G technology because the 5G has a larger data bandwidth so that we can upload the data faster. Uh, um, 4G is also uh, use, useful, but it's just not as convenient because the data, data bandwidth is not as, in, not, not as big, so that the data upload will be very, very slow. It will wait very, very long time to get that amount of data to get transfer. So the 5G together with V2X, I was saying, these are two different concepts, but actually very related as well. They create Together, they actually make the self-driving much easier, uh, much safer, much more convenient. Uh, in, in cities uh, in China. Our, uh, our time is coming to a close, but uh, if you don't mind, I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself. Now, um, I'm curious about how you got into this line of work. Um, I know you were the founding director of the Princeton Computer Vision and Robotics Lab, and you received your PhD from Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab at MIT. So what were those experiences like, and how did that lead you into what you're doing now? Yeah, that's very interesting because since I was a little child, I always fascinated by computer, in particular by artificial intelligence. So I always want to do something, build a computer program, very, very smart to do something useful for, 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 the, for the society. So that's why uh, I, I did my bachelor degree uh, in Hong Kong, in the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. It's a new tech company. Uh, the uh, New Tech University in, 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 in Hong Kong, which is one of the best in Asia. And while I was studying in Hong Kong, I have this, uh, I, I actually get pretty lucky because uh, I, doing, I was doing research in computer vision uh, at a laboratory in, in Hong Kong. Uh, at that time, um, Google uh, actually start, just started self-driving car project. And they founded uh, uh, several universities to get those university data as well as uh, uh, money to sponsor the university research. Uh, I was actually lucky to get sponsored by Google at our university to, to get those data as well as uh, the, the uh, financial support to study this area. That, that actually created a huge interest uh, for me and then that's why motivated me to work very hard. And eventually uh, we published a lot of paper, we did a lot of great research uh, together with uh, uh, together with our, our colleague in, in, in Hong Kong, University of Science and Technology. And then after that, I went to MIT, I studied further. Uh, I published uh, a lot of academic paper. Uh, my research area is about using big 3D data. Um, the big 3D data are particularly useful, as we mentioned, self-driving car, we need a huge amount of data. And it's also not just two-dimensional data, it's not just image, it's not just video. But it actually has 3D point cloud. It has the 3D shape of object. It has, uh, because we're talking about navigating in the physical world, that which everything is in 3D. So this prepared me a solid foundation of the technology in this area. Um, we, uh, I was also lucky to be able to, while well, MIT lucky to collaborate with a 
companies like Nissan, uh, because Nissan also sponsor MIT for research in autonomous driving uh, area. And then after graduate, I become a professor at Princeton. Uh, at that time, we were also very lucky to get uh, sponsored by Ford, Ford Motors uh, the, uh, to get a lot of research done in this area in autonomous driving as well. Uh, in, uh, around two, 2016, uh, after, uh, after 10 years of research in autonomous driving, I really see that the technology is no longer just a, a, a theory, it's no longer just an academic research. You can actually build a real product because the technology mature enough to the level that you just need to try a little bit harder, you can build a real product out of the technology. And at that time, we also see the great opportunity that happening in Asia because almost all the major self-driving car company, they are looking at the U.S. market. Of course, U.S. is a premium market, but it, the world is so big, it's not just the U.S. market. There's, uh, there's the China market, there's the Asia market, and uh, not just that, there's a lot of other markets as well. The world is so big and there's so much opportunity. That's why I see that this is a great timing to start a company in this space. And, and that's why I founded this, this company. <laughs> Chiang Chung, that's, uh, that's great. It, it's uh, really interesting to hear how you kind of got into the field and, uh, and then pioneered the field. Um, so we, we are really thankful that you uh, took some time to talk to us on the podcast this morning, and, uh, and we wish you all the best. Likewise. Thanks a lot for your invitation. I'm very happy to talk to you, both of you. Thank you. Our thanks again to Professor X. And I know we talked a lot about traffic and we're going to really dig more into this whole traffic issue, especially in light of COVID-19. So Pete, can you tell us a little bit about next week's guest? That's right, Leslie. Uh, joining us on the podcast next week is Gary Hallgren, the president of Arity, which is a traffic uh, and data analytics uh, spinoff from Allstate Insurance. And they have been tracking... Uh, broad trends in transportation, uh, in vehicle miles traveled, uh, et cetera, since the uh, COVID crisis started. And he will be able to give us the latest on, on how we are or are not moving around these days. So uh, that's it for today. Appreciate everyone listening. Thanks to our producer, Eric Jones. And, and we'll be back next week with uh, Gary Hallgren. <laughs>